Welcome to Willard Church of the Nazarene. We're glad you're here. We can't wait to share the service with you. Uh uh-huh. 
We're starting a sermon series. I'm excited because I, I, I like this chapter in the Bible. It's Hebrews 11. If you turn and join me there, Hebrews 11 is, is the, uh, the faith chapter, the heroes of the faith, people who demonstrated faith in action. And today, we live in uncertain times, Right? I believe that we are assailed and we are even at times controlled by unseen realities. We, we are attacked by an enemy that we can't see. We are in a war that we half the time don't even realize is going on around us. And the stakes are high. People are being destroyed by addictions. People are self-harming themselves, cutting themselves, burning themselves. People are confused. They don't know who they are. Just people taking their lives. And my friends, it is critical that we are a people who learned to Walk by faith and not by sight. That, that can't be a thing that we just put on a plaque in our lives. It has to be how we intentionally live our lives. Today, I want us to ask ourselves, does how we live require faith? 
Does how you live require any faith? Because if the answer is no, that's a scary thing. We're, we're probably not in the battle. We're probably watching people go to hell around us. And we're doing nothing. Does how we live our life require faith? Think about how you live your life. Today we're going to look at Abel. Abel is a man who worshipped by faith. And this is where we need to start today. Are we worshipping by faith? Hebrews 11.4 By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended. I graduated in 1992, long time ago. Just celebrated my 30th a couple years ago, right? A year ago. There was this book that was released by Gary Chapman called The Five Love Languages. Is anybody familiar with that book? You read that? Three? Anybody over on this side? Oh, get ready. Four? All right, you need to read it, all right? The five love languages, write that down, Gary Chapman. Um, Gary was a counselor and dealt with a lot of marriages, so a lot of marriages that were in trouble. He, he noticed that there was often this friction that was taking place and um, where, where husbands and wives were disconnected. And so he began to take notes. He, he'd see a husband or, or wife trying to show love for their spouse, but it didn't seem like it was being understood. A lot of spouses felt unloved. And a lot of that had to do with how it was being communicated. So what he found out was people had unique love languages themselves, ways that they felt loved. And oftentimes the way that they felt loved was the way that they would try to show love to other people but it wasn't the way that their spouse heard it, right? And so he wanted people to be aware of that. And so he found these five basic love languages, acts of service, physical touch, words of affirmation, quality time, and receiving gifts. Those were the five basic areas. You, you might be the person that really feels loved when somebody does acts of service for you. And so if that's the way you receive it, off the time, that's the way you give it. But if your words, if your spouse's love language is words of affirmation, then you might not be communicating it in a way that they get. For some people, it's great to get flowers, right? Or that nice card. And for other people, you could care less about those things. Maybe you're the person that just wants one-on-one -on -one time alone with your spouse, uninterrupted. 
And so what they found out was it's important to know your spouse's love languages so you could communicate that in order to connect with that person. And I would encourage anybody who's married, anybody who wants to be married, to go check out his website. There's also languages on how to raise your kids, to speak to your kids. There's languages on how to be a good friend. So it's not just if you're married. If you go to the website 5, the number 5, lovelanguages.com, you can take a test to see what your language is and share that with the people around you. Just like it's important to speak our spouse's love language, it's important to know God's love language. What ways really speak to him? Because we're going to see this in the story of Cain and Abel. One spoke to him and one was rejected when they came to worship. Right? Genesis 4, I'm going to read chapters 1 through, uh, not chapters, Genesis 4, verses 1 through 5. It says this, Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. <coughs> Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. There's a lot of firsts going on in this chapter. This is mankind's origin story, right? So that makes sense. We see the, the first man and woman having the first child. Hey, have you ever thought about that, what that would have been like? Can you imagine never having experienced pregnancy, never having seen anyone else experience pregnancy, and then living that out? Eve says, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Eve sounds surprised by this right? It, and it would have been something crazy. We also have the, the very first firstborn being knocked off the pedestal, right, by the baby brother. When you're the firstborn, you get all the attention. You have mom and dad all to yourself, right? And then baby number two comes along, and you're replaced, right? Everything is focused in on, on that person. So we see the first sibling rivalry start to shape up. In this, in this passage, we have the, the first church service, the first worship service, because we've seen Cain and Abel bring an offering to the Lord. Now, that might not seem like church to you, because we've gotten off base in America. In America, we think the purpose of coming to church is to receive something right? Like we came to receive a word. We came to receive a blessing. We, we come in this place sometimes last minute or just kind of show up because we don't have anything to do. That's what we think. We're just, we're just here, right, uh, to get something. We hope the worship team practice. We hope they're going to bring it today. We hope that they're going to sing the song that really speaks to us, right? That one song that we need to hear, the one that we really like, the one that touches us. If it's not the right pastor or if it's not the right message, then it's probably not that important if we're at church. 
If it's a work day where we're going out into the community, then we really don't have to show up for that either, right? Man, I love that we went out last Sunday in the community and helped some people. But doggone, where was everybody? I mean, there's something for everybody to do. We didn't have enough people to serve our widows in the church because we didn't show up. We didn't have enough people. Nancy had one person come to her, her house and thank God some Hispanic teens stepped in and helped out, right? We're not here to receive we're here to give. There, there is an audience of one in our worship service today. There is an audience of one. And thank you, praise team, because we are here to bow down in worship and throw our crowns at his feet and give him an offering. That's why we're here. We're not here to be entertained. We're here to serve. You are so important. You are so needed. The enemy might say you're beyond the, the age of being needed and being able to contribute, but that is such a lie. You're needed to encourage other people. You're needed to, to take your arm around somebody who's going through a tough time, right? And tell them you love them. Tell them you're praying for them. Stand next to them. You've got a gift given to you by the Holy Spirit to be used, a spiritual powerful gift that God enables you to use. But we've got to be here. And, and by here, I'm not even necessarily talking about here. We've got to be the church that's willing to, to go out. All in all, we, we may mistakenly think that this is for us, and then we get mad, right, when it's not how we want it. We, we get into feuds. We get upset with other people. But, my friends, we're here to worship the King of Kings. We're here to bow down low and throw our crowns at his feet. We're here to, be, to bring an offering in praise and thanksgiving to the one that flipped our lives upside down. Amen? What do you bring? What are you bringing? What did you bring today? And what does it contain? Because here we see we're either speaking God's love language, either it's worship with faith, or it isn't. That's important because either it's a, something he accepts or something he rejects. Everything that we do, right, including worship, especially worship, has to be done in faith. It has to have it at its hearts. Faith is a response to God's grace. And an offering given without faith will be rejected. God didn't like the way Cain worshipped. He didn't like what Cain had to bring. And Abel's offering was so much better. So much better that it's included in this Hebrews 11 hall of faith, right? 
So what did Abel do that Cain didn't do or wouldn't do? I want to look at the differences of their offering, point out some things. To, to, like I said, to use God's words, Abel brought a more excellent sacrifice. It was better. Why? Verse 3, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the first fruits, some of the fruits, I'm sorry, of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. So Abel chooses to honor God and take the firstborn and give it to God. Also the fat, por- fat portions, meaning not only the first, but he offers the best to God. Compared to Cain, who in the course of time, right, brings some of the fruits of the soil to God. First fruits? No. Best fruits? No. This is the principle behind tithing, right? It's, it's when we give God the, the first, the tithe, the best. Abel did that. The, the principle would later be nailed down by Solomon who wrote in Proverbs 3 verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit of all your crops. That's our part. And then we see God's part in chapter 10, in verse 10, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Our part is to give God the first. Why? Does God need it? Right? Have you ever thought about that? Does God need it? No, absolutely not. So why then is, is there this call to bring the first? Why is it supposed to happen this way? Right? Be, because the goal is not money. He's God. He doesn't need it. What's the goal then? The goal of tithing is faith. Pure and simple. It's faith. And what is faith? Faith. It's a response to God's grace. A trust and dependence on God. That's the goal. What if Abel gives the firstborn and there's no secondborn? What if Abel gives the best firstborn and the other firstborns are disease-ridden and end up passing away and dying, right? I better wait like Cain. This is what we think in our own human understanding. I better wait like Cain over the course of time to see how things shape up. No. What Abel gave was given in faith. Think about this. We're, we're coming up on the first of the month. Let's pretend that you get your wages for the month, right? It, it would take faith for you to give God a tithe, an offering out of that, right? Because you don't know what's coming this month. Look at, look at our country, right? Who knows what inflation's going to do? Who knows what gas prices are going to do? It would take faith for us to step out and give that first portion to God. It'd be smarter It'd be more responsible by human wisdom, right? To pay all your bills for the month, to see how things are going, and then give God what's left over. But would that take faith? Would faith be anywhere in there, right? Would that lead to trusting God? Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please God. Does your offering that you bring before him, take faith? If what we bring to him is, is first, that's a good start. 
But what about the quality of what we bring, right? Abel brought the fat portions. For, for people back then, the fat portion was the best portion. It was the most sacred portion to the Lord. I never knew how good fat was, right? I watched this elderly Filipino woman, and she would fry up the strips of fat. She would cut them off the ends of meat, and she would fry them up, and she would just hold them in her hand and just eat them. And I was like, that is the most disgusting thing. But it's good. It's good, right? Like, I didn't understand how important fat was to meat. You don't want to lean meat. That's, that's no good. Fat is good. In moderation, right? In moderation. Be careful with that. Abel not only brought the firstborn, but he also gave the fat portions, the best part to God. Does our offering contain the best. And I'm not just talking money. Right? Our time, our talents, the best we have, the best attitude. Man, that, that's something that I need to work on. What's my attitude? Do I grudgingly do it? Right? I, I want to share a cheesy pastor story with you. A farmer had a cow that was pregnant and it finally gave birth. That farmer was all excited because it was t- twins. He came in and, and told his wife about this good fortune, and she came up with this idea. She says, why don't you raise them both and give one to God? You weren't expecting to. Why don't you see this as a sign from God and, and give all the proceeds to, to him for one of these? And, well, he thought about that. It didn't sound like a good idea. But the more he thought about it, he was like, yeah, God's, God's been good to me. I wasn't planning on it anyway. So he took care of them both, never picked out which one he was going to give to God, though until the day that they both got sick. And throughout the night, he's, he's caring for them and nursing them, and, and one ended up dying. And he came in sad-faced and told, came in, and his wife saw that his countenance was down, and she's like, what's the matter? What happened? And well, he, he told her, well, God's cow died. He waited until that moment to pick which cow was God. And which was his. Then it's an easy choice, right? It's a choice that's humanly made. This is what it looks like for us to walk by our sight and not by faith. There's this phrase in the Bible found in Jude chapter 1, verse 11. It says, they have taken the way of Cain. And I want us to add that to our vocabulary. I want us to think about this. It means that they did what they wanted to. They did what was right in their own eyes. They did what humanly made sense to them. God may say to bring an animal without blemish, but wouldn't it make more sense to sacrifice an animal that was maybe sickly and on its way out already, right? That's the way of Cain, and there is no faith needed to walk that path. Does your offering take faith? Or have you gone the way of Cain, and you just do what makes sense and feels right to you? God accepts one and rejects the other. One dishonors God, One upsets him. Man, I am not preaching this so that you give me money. I worry about that every time I talk about money. I'm not looking for a raise here. 
I just want us to be people who live by faith. I know that's a start. I, I need to be reminded myself, am I given the best offering that I can? In whatever area that comes out to, money, time, attitude. Malachi 1.6, this is God speaking to the Israelites. A son dishonors his father and a slave his master. If I'm a father, this is God speaking, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty? It is your priests who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food, food on the altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Man, God forbid. Worship and offerings should cost us something. We should feel it. Worship that costs us little accomplishes little. King David knew that. That's why when David wanted to to build a temple for God and he was looking for the field, right, he found the perfect spot for it and he went out to that owner and he's like, how much do you want for it? And the guy's like, what are you going to use for it? And David's like, we're going to put the temple here. And the guy's like, oh, no, I'm not going to sell it to you. I'm going to give it to you. And do you remember what David said in 1 Chronicles 21, 24? He says, no... I insist on paying the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours or sacrifice a burnt offering that costs me nothing. I know we all face different financial circumstances and situations, and some of us are in some hard times. I never want to make it worse for you. And I will tell you that we will gladly help you out as the church. Because I know some of you need it. But what I want to do is to invite you to step out on faith. No matter what's going on. Because I know myself, I had a time where my wages, my household income were cut in half. And I had made a pledge to the Lord. And he enabled me to keep it by doing miraculous things. And my faith grew in that time. And my trust, the important part, my trust in him grew as well. And that's what I want from you. It is very tempting for me to say, if you're having a tough time, just hold on to your money. But I'm inviting you instead to to step out on faith, whatever that means for you. It's all about what God calls you to do, right? Make no mistake. God sees what we put in the plate. God sees how we spend our time. God sees our our attitude. And praise God that God doesn't compare us with the people around us. That's the other side of it, right? Praise God, God does not compare what I give with what somebody else in here gives. Because they might give a lot more money than I do. I'm not judged by that. I'm judged by what he's called me to give. 
and how I respond to that. Luke 21 tells of a time where Jesus and the disciples, they're, they, listen to this, they're, they're at the temple watching rich people give money to the temple. Can you picture Jesus just watching people give money? Turn money in? And I'm sure there was some amazing shows. I'm, I'm sure the disciples were like, wow, look at, look at all that money that person put in. They brought their camel up there, right? Dropped off that big chest. I don't know. But then this poor widow comes in and tosses in what? Two small copper coins. And it blows Jesus' mind. Right? What's he tell him? He says, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave out of their wealth. It didn't really cost them. It didn't hurt them, right? But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. It's not about quantity. It's about faith. Does your offering, does how you live, does what you do take any kind of faith That's what we need to seek out. Worship, how we come before God must be full of faith, right? In faith, we should bring the first. We should bring the best. When it comes to giving, there's probably a way that seems right to us. I I know you're calling me to give this, but I'm going to hold back half my tithe, and and I'll wait till there's some special needs in the church, and then when those times come up, then I'll I'll give it to that. But, But Malachi says, you're robbing me. That's what God says, you're robbing me. And they're like, how are we robbing you? And he's like, with your tithes and offerings. Bring in the full tithe and the offering. My friends, don't go the way of Cain. Don't put your faith in what you hold back, right? Faith is the only way we can approach God. Back to Hebrews 11, verse 6, that without faith it is impossible to please God. Without faith it is impossible to please God. I don't know if pleasing God is important to you. I don't know if honoring God is important to you. But without faith it's impossible because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Abel knew the promise of Genesis 3.15 that someday a descendant would come and wrestle with sin and death, and even though this descendant would be wounded, right, that he would triumph and defeat sin and death. So Abel, therefore, comes with that expectation, with that in mind, in response to faith in that coming salvation, thanking and praising God for that, and offers his offering in faith. On the other hand, Cain comes and gives an offering not as a response to salvation, but as a means to salvation. Here's the big difference. One was responding to salvation. One was trusting God for their salvation that was not even at hand. It was coming. He had heard about it, that it was coming someday. But he put his faith in God. And the other was giving in order to secure his salvation. Cain brings these good things, right? And says, look at what I'm giving to you, God. 
Look how amazing I am. And he tries to earn his salvation. When God sees that his offering has no faith, he rejects it. And, and this makes Cain angry and depressed. Does your offering, does your worship contain faith? Do you approach God with faith? Here's how you can know. Here's how you can tell one way. When your life doesn't go as you think it should, right? Do you get bitter and angry with God like Cain did? He's mad. He's depressed. You may say that I'm trusting Jesus Christ for my salvation, right? But when things go poorly, and you're feeling like God's not living up to his side of the bargain, he's not rewarding you for what you give, for what you do, right, for what you bring in, for your worship, right, and you end up getting angry or depressed, that is a sign that you are following the way of Cain. You're trying to earn God's favor. That's not how it works. You're trying to earn it with the way you live your life. You're trying to earn it with what you do instead of just trying to live in response to God's grace. Abel's are the people that no matter what life is doing to them, right? they truly realize the gift of grace that's been given to them and they respond to it. That's what faith is, a response to God's grace and nothing that happens can ever affect that. Does your worship, does your offering, does the way you live your life contain faith? Genesis 4, 5, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face, face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. My friends, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Man, this is a great picture. This is a great picture if you have a cat. Anybody? You guys have cats in here? You need some cats, all right, so you can understand the Bible. I got some you can have. I'm going to tell you, anytime I go outside and those cats are outside and there is, a, there is some other poor animal in that yard, right, what, is it, what does a cat do? It crouches down, right? It gets as low as it can to the ground every time that they see that. They're trying to minimize what can be seen by that animal that they're stalking, right? They get absolutely motionless, don't they? And they move until they start to move, and they move very slowly, right? Uh, we, I came outside, and, and uh, one of my cats had a bunny in its mouth, and that bunny's just screaming, baby bunny. And so I, I go, and I, I, I save the bunny, and I get it out of my cat's mouth, right? And as soon as I get it out of that cat's mouth, another cat pounces on the bunny, grabs it, 
And so I got one cat in my arm, and I'm going to the other cat trying to get this poor bunny that's just screaming bloody murder out of his mouth. And I finally get that cat to, to let that bunny go. And then another cat comes in and grabs the bunny, and I'm just like, oh my goodness. You know, we, we got six cats, five that love to stalk. And uh, you see the other ones, though, the whole time we're doing this, they're just waiting for their time to pounce, right? Finally, did, did save that bunny. But the, the word crouch that's used here is this Hebrew word for, that's related to the actions of, of lions and tigers and big cats, right? It's, it's this idea of this predator that's just waiting to pounce on you. It crouches down out of you behind something like a cat, right? And, and God is teaching us that this is the nature of sin to try and conceal itself, try to hide so that it can pounce on you. It tries to look small, right? Unassuming. That's the nature of it. And, and if you don't have a concern about sin crouching at your door, you're dead. You're dead. Sin is there. It seems small. We often think it's small. We often justify it, right? It's not that big of a deal. If I just listen to that, if I just watch that, if I just have this attitude towards my, my fellow believer, right, this grudge, it's nothing that big. But sin is waiting to pounce. And it's even kind of creepy because God warns next, it desires to have you. It desires to have you, right? That's the power of it. We need to realize the seriousness of sin, even when it seems small and unassuming, even when it's crouching down, right? When sin takes place, it can get to the point where it, can, it controls you. You don't sin, and it just goes away. You sin, and it stays with you. It starts to consume you. It develops a foothold. It develops a stronghold in your life. It, it's creepy. I hope you get this. I know you've experienced this. The first time you sinned in an area, right, there are lots of warnings that are going off in your head. The Holy Spirit's telling you, don't do this. You know better, right? But you don't listen and you choose to sin, and it's like a barrier is broken. And the second time, the next time you go to sin, it's a lot easier. And the third time you go to sin, it's even easier, right? Until it has you in its grip, right? That's the reason why we shouldn't be playing with it. We can't be casual with it. We can't think it's small. We can't rationalize it. We can't excuse it. Instead, we have to come to the place where we realize the danger of it. We realize the footholds that are established, right? We've got to come to the place where we can recognize our sins. We know the areas that we struggle with, right? We know those areas, and yet we dabble in them. We leave them around, we leave ways that we can access those things that we know we shouldn't access, right? We pretend that small, it doesn't hurt anybody. My friends, quit excusing it. It is a stronghold in your life. Everyone has sins that they allow to sit in the corner and crouch down. 
and think that they're not bad, right? Sins we excuse. If we start watching something that we shouldn't, if we start holding on to that grudge against somebody, it starts with a small lie. And then James 1, 14 through 15, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. It always starts off small. But if you allow it to stay there, it will drag you to hell. We have to recognize and realize how serious sin is. I hate horror movies. I hate them. One of my least favorite genres to watch, and it's simply because you can't have a horror movie without a bunch of stupid people. Right? There's a noise in the basement, and the lights are out, and they go to check it out with a candle. I ain't doing that. If the lights ain't coming on, I'm not going in the basement. I'm going up in my room. I'm going to lock the door. I'm going to grab my shotgun. You come through that door, you're getting it, right? Horror movies always have stupid people. Drives me nuts. But you know what God said to me? Sometimes you that stupid when it comes to sin. You excuse it. You let it in your life. You touch it. You know the pain that comes from it. And you go back to it. You keep going back to it. Don't you know your danger areas? You know the things that are out there waiting to spring on you, crouching at your door. Why do we play with fire, right? Look at the things in your life. Consider those things, right? A a way, if you want help with this, a way that will really help is to have some great Christian friends. Friends that will point out Maybe you can't see it because you're in here and it's waiting outside that doorway crouching down and you can't see it. Those Christian friends will see it. And they can tell you about it if you allow them to, if you invite them to. This is why small groups are so important. If you're just coming to church, you're missing out on this. Probably. You need a small group, a small group of a couple people that you invite into your life to speak truth to you. And when they come and tell you, you know, James, you're, you're doing this thing and I don't think it's such a good thing, don't bite their heads off, right? Listen to what they say because they're saying it because they love you and they care about you. My friends, sin is crouching at the door and you might not be able to see it from your point of view, but that friend can And friends, if you see it, you better say something, even if it might mean losing that friendship. Don't let your brother or sister get devoured by that. All right? Have a a general idea of what sin does, right? Realize the danger of it. Get some close Christian friends that will talk to you about it, that you can share with it, that won't judge you when you tell them about it, right? But But last thing, notice God's role in this. Before God tells Cain to do what's right, 
God wants him to understand his motives and what's really behind this so that he can get to the root of it and correct it. God is a counselor, right? He's not coming to Cain with the lightning bolts. You, you gave a horrible offering, right? You're about to sin and do this stupid thing. And No, no, he comes with questions. Cain, why are you angry? Why is your faith, faith downcast? Cain, let's, let's think about what's going on and, and let's get to the root of this. If you allow God to come to you and ask you those questions and reveal those answers, you're going to have a much easier time getting through them, getting over them. Before Cain kills his brother, God tries to intervene. And my friends, before you step into sin, God will do the same with you. Will you listen, though? Will you allow him to speak into your life? And here's what will make the difference, all right? It's if you respond in faith. Because when you respond in faith, when you come to worship God in faith, what do you do? You bow down. You surrender your will to his will. And you trust what he says and tells you to do over what you think is right, over the way of Cain. There's two choices in your response, in everything. There's two choices. There's the way that seems right to you. There's no faith in that or what God calls us to do or what God speaks to us. And the only way we'll follow that way is if we bow down and worship to him, if we submit our will to his will. Do you worship him in faith? Or are you taking the way of Cain? Would you stand with me? Will you ask yourself that question this week? Am I taking the way of Cain? Am I just living life by the way that seems right to me? Or am I ordering my life off of God's word? What God tells me to do, what God speaks to me about. Will you just recognize that? And will you bow down in faith? and follow him. Amen. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you that you are a God that doesn't come swinging, doesn't come with lightning bolts, doesn't come to to just take us out. Father, you come to prevent us from taking those roads. And Lord, even after we take those roads, even after we reject you, you come again and again and call us from that life. Call us to repent. Call us to a new path, Lord. You call us to follow Jesus. You call us to the way, not the way of Cain, but to the one true way, that is Jesus Christ, Lord. We remember that he said he is the way, he is the life, he is the truth, and nobody comes to you except through him. Father, may our paths be following Jesus Christ in everything we do. May we not rely on our own wisdom in the way of Cain that way without faith, Lord. Help us to follow you. Help us to bow down before you and worship you in faith, Lord.
Lord, we love you and we give you praise. In your name we pray. Amen.